And a big turning point for me as far as all of that was I had an audition. And in the audition, it was it was for Usher and he was in the room and it was like, wow, this was like a dream come true. It was just me auditioning me, the choreographer and Usher. And I don't think I've ever told this story like publicly before. So you're like this is you're hearing this for the first time. This Exclusive. is a very <laughs> right. This is a very personal story. It's very personal. Um, yeah. So I'm in the room and Usher's sitting there and he's like, what song do you want me to play? All he wanted was to watch me dance and freestyle. And as a dancer, you know, for a freestyle dancer, that's your dream. That's all you want is to be able to just be yourself, right? Welcome to episode three of the Enculturation Podcast, where we aim to make learning about the world fun, engaging, and accessible, helping you stay tuned, stay curious. So today, I welcome Kai Martinez. She is a professional choreographer, animation consultant, and dancer from New York. Currently based in Los Angeles, California, her background as a freestyle movement artist and a commercial choreography dancer gives her a unique voice as a creator. With a dance career that spans almost two decades, Kai has performed globally with some of the world's biggest superstars. Her performance credits include Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, Kendrick Lamar, Paul McCartney, Camilla Cabello, Omarion, Beck, and many more. The knowledge she has gained as a performer Kai began expanding her reach within the entertainment industry. She has worked as a commercial actor for such brands as McDonald's, McAfee, AT&T, Walmart, H&R Block, Hard Rock Cafe, 19 Crimes, SK2, Shoe Carnival, Boost Mobile, and many more. Kai has also worked as a movement coach and choreographer for Grammy award-winning artists Anderson Pack and Coco Sarai. All this experience combined led her to hold a very unique role in Disney's 60th animated film, Encanto, where she not only danced and acted, but also she worked as an animation reference consultant alongside choreographer Jamal Sims to help create the musical dance number for the film. She also worked closely to the animation team to help bring the dance sequences to life, advising on movement as well as cultural nuances derived from her own Colombian heritage. Welcome, Kai. What's up, Vin? Thank you for having me. That was a great welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Uh, you know, you're episode number three, so this is a very special episode. You've also are the guest that's traveled the longest distance to be here. So I'm very honored, very grateful, very appreciative that you're here. Um, you know, you got a great story to tell, and I hope I can do justice in shining your journey. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, w I just want to say thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. And uh, this experience, because um, we could have done it virtually, as you, you suggested, we could have done it virtually. But for me, there was something important about coming here and physically bringing myself here. And we spoke about it uh, briefly in conversation about the act of stepping out of my comfort zone or our comfort zone, period, in the act of driving up here from L.A., which is about five hours or so, which was a super fun road trip. But even that act of stepping out of our comfort zone to 
then grow. Um, I think that was that has pushed me, you know, in a very nice way. So even before sitting here at this table, I'm already excited and I'm like, let's do it. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. So uh, with that said, let's start from the top. You know, um, I'm sure you had like an amazing origin story. So what's what's your origin story? Oh, man. Um, well, I am first generation born Colombian American. I was born in Jackson Heights, Queens, New York. What's up? <laughs> Jackson Heights is a very well-known Colombian-centric neighborhood. Um, so I grew up very much immersed in the Colombian culture and Latin culture and in the home. I speak Spanish and, uh, you know, all of my family is are immigrated from Colombia. But outside my home, I was very much hip hop. You know, it was very much I went to high school in Brooklyn. I went to St. John's University in Jamaica, Queens. I was very I grew up in a time where MTV was playing music videos and I was very highly influenced by Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Missy Elliott, even NSYNC and Britney Spears and just so much um, different variety of music and culture and dance that all of that highly influenced me on top of my Latin culture of influence of music and dance. So all of that coupled in together was just like the perfect storm for me to grow up in this space of music and dance and after school programming, I, I didn't come up in a dance studio, but I was just immersed in the arts. My family really um, cultivated that as, as children. They allowed us to stay in after school activities and do the school plays and all that. So I grew up doing that and it wasn't until after college that I decided to make a career out of this, which is a very interesting conversation to have with my parents because I studied, <laughs> right? I, I, I studied uh, media communication arts, which is like marketing, advertising, PR, and um, that was not uh, dance. So after college and um, I graduated cum laude, shout out to St. John's University. And having that conversation with my parents as far as I wanted to now be a professional dancer was was very difficult and they didn't quite understand it at first but they supported and uh, that allowed me to kind of enter the industry and now it's been over 15 years that I've been around and from New York I got an agent and I started training in Broadway Dance Center and Perry Dance Steps on Broadway if you guys are familiar with those dance studios and then I also um came up as a freestyle dancer. So I started studying under uh, some of the OGs, you know, on the dance community, on the freestyle dance tip. So I studied under like a Brian Green and um, a Link and um, who am I thinking about? I'm running out of their names. Sekou. So we have Brian Green, Sekou, uh, Link, Buddhist Stretch. And at the time, Princess Lakaru was teaching whacking Benny Ninja was teaching voguing. Uh, then I learned under Danielle Polanco. And just, it was such a great space to train. New York City is so, such a great space to train, as you know. Yeah, I've, I've heard the saying, that if you can survive New York, you can survive anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. So growing up in that was, it, it, again, I think it prepared me to be a professional anything. Like, <laughs> especially an artist, because we were taught early on to be undeniable and that the work um, speaks for itself. 
you know? So we were very, coming into the dance industry, I was very like raw and we were very just passionate and we just wanted to learn and grow. It wasn't about being, you know, having the great greatest headshots or having the dopest look. We didn't even care about that stuff. We just wanted to be good, you know? You know, I can relate to you on the headshot thing. Like for, for uh, some years, I didn't have a good headshot, right? <laughs> and this is a funny story. I'll, I'll never forget it. Uh, but since you brought it up, is uh, there was one occasion where, uh, I think her name was Bridget. She was the former um, manager at, at Culture Shock, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I was teaching a, a workshop there, like a special pop-up one outside of like a regular class, you know? Yeah. And then they, they I had no headshot or I, rather I didn't send one over in time. Uh -huh. So they went on my Facebook and got one of me camping, like <laughs> covered in dirt. And I was like, well, I, I, at least I know people aren't, aren't here for my headshots. Right, right. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, because, you know, it's, you know, you don't, you just don't think about it like that, you know? And, um, but once I came out to LA, and now it'll be about nine years ago that I came out to LA, it was like, whoa, you do learn. LA taught me a lot of like the structure and the business side of dance, even whether it's commercial or freestyle underground scene. I think, um, it taught me to polish myself and to like make myself marketable and presentable in a way that accurately represented who I was as an artist. And um, it's made all the difference. And the opportunities that have been uh, available to me out here have just been amazing. So yeah, it's been a long road since Jackson Heights, but um, I'm so glad that, uh, you know, that we're here now. What, what brought you to LA from New York? The reason why I asked is, um, LA is like almost complete opposite of New York in some ways, you know, uh, for better and for worse. Yeah. So what personally appealed about LA to you? Well, you know, I'll say uh, for me, it felt like New LA was a hub of entertainment. Mm -hmm. You know, New York is, it's a lot going on over there. But the to be honest, the cost of living <laughs> is kind of, it, it's, it's very expensive for an artist to survive. And I, you know, I'll say again, I didn't come up in a dance studio, so I don't have like technical training like that, like ballet and, and jazz and stuff. So the opportunities for me to work were not as abundant as they are here. So my, what brought me to LA was that. And then, um, yeah, I, it was a lot of my friends coming out here and, and doing the jobs I wanted to do. They were dancing for the Rihanna. They were dancing for Beyonce. They were dancing for Missy Elliott. And I just didn't feel, I felt like I was kind of reached a point in New York where it just wasn't growing as much like that, you know? And I wanted to challenge myself and be like, yo, because you think New York, I feel like trains you to be able to make it anywhere. But LA is kind of like where everyone comes from all around the world to make it. Oh, so I, I feel like once you come to LA, you have an edge if you're from New York or if you've trained in New York or if you've lived in New York, you understand how to hustle and grind, but LA is kind of where you come to do it. Okay, that, that makes a lot makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, definitely shout out to New York. Uh, you know, my, my first time in New York, I it's one of the few places where I felt that dance here isn't a train thing, it's a life Thing. It's a breath thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's something about going to, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you ever went to the Fort Green parties over there. Yeah. Yeah, where it's like the whole community, 
everybody, every color, every age group, every type of orientation is just there. And it's like, it's, it's really different, like being in that type of space and growing up in that type of space versus like, okay, uh, let me go on YouTube or let me go on uh, right. to a class. I mean, those are good too, because it, you got, you, you got to make do what you got, right? But right. New York is definitely a special place in that regard. Right. I'm, I'm sure you've been to Funkbox, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. So, and I think for any, especially, um, you know, I, I'll group them and say street styles, even though I don't like to say that, but like Wacker House, hip hop, you know, anyone, any dancer from that genre um, to go to some, a place like Funkbox where you can literally see in front of your face these OGs getting down and like it's a masterclass and it's like in real time like it's not in a studio it's not in a class you're watching people in a party break it down right in front of your face and it was legendary and i i remember going there and sitting in the corner and just watching like tony mcgregor and and ejo and link and then just watching them go round for round in the cipher and i'll never forget um I remember once Link, who's one of my mentors, he invited me into the cypher. He's like, hey, come on in. And I was like, no, 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 I'm okay. And um, afterwards, I remember him telling me like, hey, uh, when people invite you into the cypher, it's for you to exchange. So for you to refuse to go in the cypher, it's like you're almost um, refusing to exchange as opposed to, and you're just like taking as opposed to giving and receiving. You know what I mean? Like, give energy into the cipher to ever, everyone else as they give to you. Yeah. That for, was one. For for our listeners who are not as familiar with the, the dancing, I think it's really common to think uh, when it comes to dance, there's only battles, right? So what Kai is talking about is more like a conversation, exchanging meanings. We're having a conversation through movement. So it's listening and also communicating and not just... Uh, Battles. There's definitely other things to dance besides battles, and <laughs> what she's referring to is like a deeper aspect. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's even something I had to learn. You know, I had to learn the culture of exchanging within the cipher, and it's deeper than what you said, like a battle. Like I don't always want to take someone's head off. Then, granted, <laughs> that's that's sometimes that is the nature, like a friendly battle, or sometimes it gets intense. But this idea of, you know, you're exchanging energy, and you're also kind of what better way to get to know someone than to get to know how they move? So I think even wherever I go, if there's a dance event now or since then, for many years now, I've, I've, I go in and I watch and I watch when people present themselves in a cipher. It's like their introduction to who they are as humans. And it's so nice to see like, oh, wow, you're, this is a part of you. So I, I feel like I know them even without knowing their name. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, I honestly, uh, some may, may call me biased, but you know, I'm honest about my biases, right? <laughs> I, I do think dance is one of the art forms that's very honest, maybe like the most honest art form um, as far as physical uh, expressions, because you can't, you can't really fake it. You know, you, you can't. Like, trust me, everyone's tried at some point and it, <laughs> it shows. <laughs> it shows. And you know, it's funny, that's what I tell my students. And you know, that's, that's what I had to be real with myself about too. And I only, I only teach that because I've had to go through that journey myself. And I've been taught that, you know. Uh, also, another thing that Link said to me many years ago was, if you don't believe in your dance, how do you expect anyone else to? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you don't like your own dance, how do you expect anyone else to like your movement? Yeah. So, uh, great points. Um, I want to get into that. And 
I want to backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you had an interesting conversation with your family about pursuing dance. I I think that's worth unpacking because I think um, it's a common challenge in people who come from families that maybe don't understand the arts as well, you know? So like, how did you navigate that? Was there like an aha moment or was it just perseverance? Oh man, it's funny because you look back on it now and now my parents are my biggest supporters and they're like super excited. um, But in the beginning, it wasn't wasn't like that. And it's not no fault of their own. You know, my family, again, they're immigrants from another country. My dad came here when he was 27. He didn't know the language and uh, he faced a lot of hardship because of that. And he had to work hard. He had to do the the quintessential American dream, right? So he worked in a hospital up until he retired overnight, uh, over time, you know, like doing many hours and all the things. So this idea of you work hard, get a life, get a family, retire, have a home. That's their, that was their idea of success. So like pretty much survival, right? Survival. And so for, for, for our generation, like my brother and I, they were like, you guys were born here. So you already have an advantage. And then they were like, well, we're going to put you through college so that now you don't have to do the jobs we did. You don't have to take a job at a hospital. You can be a doctor. You can be an engineer. You can be a lawyer. So we had those and we knew the language, you know, and, and we're, we're technically American. But so after going through college to then sit my parents down and say, this is not what calls to me, what calls to my heart, <laughs> <laughs> right, is, is to be an artist. They were like, what? You don't have a heart. What do you mean? You have to do this. And I remember specifically my dad saying, you have to get a job. Like you have to work hard and find, you know. And Is that implied that anything artistic or dance was not viewed as a job? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. That was a, that was a perception. And, and for me, I've always been this passionate, emotional person. And I, and I had, and I had been working since I was 15. Like I had, I had office jobs in the summertime and I was working all types of jobs because I wanted to, my parents instilled hard work in me early on. And I remember my last year of college, I had a marketing internship at Sony Music. So I was getting set up to have a good career in marketing and all that. And I, yo, man, I hated it. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Shout out to Sony Music. But man, I, I, it was the idea of waking up every day. I felt like a hamster. I wake up every day at the same time. I get to work at the same time. I go grab my coffee. Then I wait to see what I'm going to eat for lunch. And then I go into the meeting. And then I'm after lunch. What am I going to... Whoa! I, it it felt like life. My life force was being sucked out. Did did it ever get to a point where you couldn't tell one day from the next? Yes, <laughs> yes. And then, like Monday, I'm depressed because I'm like, man, I just had this whole weekend. It was so great. And then for the whole week, I'm looking forward to Friday because then we get those those two days to like be free. And then we have to go back into our cubicle. And back into the the grind, you know. Yeah, by by be free, does that imply that um, on the weekends you were dancing more, or yeah, okay. or just like being able to have autonomy over my life? I think that was it too. Mm-hmm. It was like be able, being able to say, "I'm not going to wake up at seven a.m. I'm gonna." And so I I yearned for that, 
And um, when my friends were inviting me to, my friends in my dance crew at the time, they were taking acting classes and stuff. I, I just started finding that passion. Um, so no, at first they were not, my parents were not really on board with it. I think they didn't understand it. And even my brother too. It took him many years to understand what it meant. I think my family, outside of even my immediate family, they were all like, what is she doing with her life? Um, I remember in the beginning, just like any internship or anything like that, I, I uh, had to do a lot of free stuff. Right. So I'm like performing exposure, at, exposure, <laughs> exposure <laughs> I had to get paid. I was cooking with exposure. Um, and so I had to do a lot of like uh, carnival pieces. If you don't know what carnival is, it's like a showcase performer showcase in L.A. Right in L.A. And they have one in New York as well. Oh, OK. So a lot of these like little dance shows that were choreographers would kind of put on and I would just try to be out. I would take class. I was doing work study at the dance studios. I was just grinding. And um, I remember my parents would be, they would joke anytime I had a performance. They'd be like, oh, another free one? Mm, okay. You know, and you know, the little aside comments that people make. And, uh, but that kind of fueled me. And I was like, man, I, I just knew that if I made dance my plan a and my plan b was to make sure plan a worked i yo i just knew in my heart that like i could do it don't i, I don't even now that i think back i'm like yo why did i give up because it was many times where i could have like given up and and i didn't and i think it was just that belief i just really had that belief in a and b the feeling that i got from dance and from being anytime I was in class anytime I had a breakthrough because you know when you grow as a dancer you're like yo I just learned how to do this move it's just like a, a euphoric feeling <laughs> and so I kept kind of chasing that feeling and and then I was I had like a checklist like okay I want to take everyone's class and I want to be able to get good in taking these classes and I want to learn these dance styles and then I want to get these headshots and then I want to get an agent so as I kept checking the things off the list, my confidence grew. And then the work started coming. Because I believe, as we said, you can't fake the dance, the emotion. So as I grew more confident and more assertive in who I was, that showed in my dance. And so when I would go to an audition, I would stand out. I thought it was because of my dance was getting better. No, there was an essence about what I was doing, how I walked into a room that was uh, that was doing the work for me. And uh, as the years progressed, yeah, my family now with Encanto, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, wow, she did it. She's really doing it, you know? Um, so, but that, that journey for them was uh, very interesting because I, I think they didn't understand it, but they still loved me enough to support me uh, okay. and and I think that's very important too because a lot of times people don't understand it and then they'll try to like block you from doing what you want to do like shame you into doing it right yeah or they'll make you feel bad or they won't support you you know me becoming a professional dancer meant I needed to live with my parents for a bit you know because I didn't I couldn't afford to move out on my own and be a professional dancer so them allowing me to stay with them 
um, was huge. That was like enough. That's all I needed. Like you guys can think whatever you want. Like you can make your jokes and <laughs> about like, are you getting paid? Do all that. But the support that they showed me by just allowing me to even stay in the house with them, uh, which they didn't have to, you know, like I was maybe 21. They didn't have to. So that alone was huge. That was huge for me. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that story. Mm. Um, so now to the link part, right? You mentioned mm. he was saying something about um, if you don't like yourself or your dance, who will, you know? So what does that mean to you? And uh, like, what does your dance mean to you? What's your why in dance? And how did you come to uh, gain that confidence? Man, yeah, it, that's been also a lifelong journey. I think my dance journey is such a parallel with my life's journey. Yeah, you know, like, well, one of my previous teachers, uh, Brian Green, he, he mentioned that you can dance for 10 years and just barely find yourself, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really lifelong. Yeah, and you know, I've, I've been dancing forever, but it wasn't until I, I heard that correlation that it, <clears throat> excuse me, that it, started to make sense. And even then, there's still, even now, there's still layers that I'm peeling back. But for me, finding myself, especially when I, once I moved out to LA, I think for me, moving to LA, away from my parents, away from my family, forced me to grow up as a human, as a person, as a woman, you know, even finding my sensuality. And I didn't come up as a very feminine girl. I was more tomboy. So that was also reflected in my dance. But now, was was that um, was was it was that common in New York to have be more tomboyish, or like was it something unique to you, or was it something because you grew up in New York? No, I think a lot. I think a lot of the women in New York, a lot of the girls in New York, have an edge to them. There's a there's a uh, there's a something. There's a <laughs> don't mess with me. I'm gonna beat you up kind of energy. There's a roughness. Um, and uh, even the most feminine girls that I know from New York have a little like. I'll kill you. Yeah. Don't try me. <laughs> you know, for, for, for people who first visit New York, and I used to be this way too, um, they tend to think New Yorkers are, how do you say this, rude or right. Right, very direct, right? Yeah. But, but I've actually come to appreciate it because there's no mind games. There's no guessing how someone feels. Right. Like, um, so... But also, it teaches you to be strong, to stand up for yourself, right? Right, right, yeah. Like, you know, I, and I love that about New Yorkers. And it wasn't until I moved out that I that I could came to appreciate it. Because, again, New Yorkers, we don't beat around the bush. Like, be like, yeah, I like that. No, I don't like that. You know, we, we tell you straight up. And even if we don't like it, we'll still support you. Be like, yo, I don't like what you did, but I still fuck with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, as uh, someone who's been in California for the majority of my adult life, it was a big shock for me because... In California, it's there's this passive aggressiveness that's yes. permeated throughout everybody. Where you're saying something, but you're not really saying something, you know. And yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, luckily, I learned to grow past it. But with that said, New York, I have a fond appreciation for how 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 raw and real. Um, uh, a previous friend from New York, she said this quote to me that I'll never forget. She said, "Y'all in California, y'all got time for for naps." We don't do that here. Right. I know. And I've become a napper out here. Don't, don't ask me how that happened. I don't know. But I love my naps now. But that's right. In New York, we're just moving and grooving the whole day. You get so much done. You have to take the train. You have to. I was, I was in New York this past summer. 
And I'm lugging around bags with clothes and having to change in a bathroom and having to take meetings at Starbucks. And you just have to figure it out mm-hmm. in New York. And it just teaches you, man. Again, it teaches you to like not take anything for granted. You know, when in, whereas L.A., you know, you have your car, it's sunny. In New York, it rained on me one day. I didn't have an umbrella. I haven't had an umbrella in years. So I'm ro- I'm walking in New York. All of a sudden, the buckets of rain just fall on me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to walk in this rain. Like, it just it felt good. But I, I, I appreciated um, all the little things, the little luxuries that we do have. You know what I mean? So... Definitely New York has that edge, has an edge. So even as a dancer, I had that edge and I had to learn how to how to let that be a reflection of who I am and find myself. So find the different aspects of who I am as a person and fall in love with that, even the not so cool parts of me, you know, and a big turning point for me as far as all of that was I had an audition. And in the audition, it was it was for Usher, and he was in the room, and it was like, wow, this was like a dream come true. It was just me auditioning, me, the choreographer, and Usher. And I don't think I've ever told this story like publicly before. So you're like, this is, you're hearing this for the first time. This is Exclusive. a very <laughs> right. This is a very personal story. It's very personal. Um, yeah. So I'm in the room. And Usher's sitting there, and he's like, what song do you want me to play? All he wanted was to watch me dance and freestyle. And as a dancer, you know, for a freestyle dancer, that's your dream. That's all you want is to be able to just be yourself, right? Yeah. I don't know. I froze. I said, oh, Michael Jackson? I think he played. I don't even remember what song he played. I was so um, not grounded in who I am, but I had been training you know, I had been doing all this training and freestyle and this and that sessions and which is great, but I wasn't grounded in myself. So I just went and I just did moves, you know, as we, we know, as dancers, I was just doing moves to a beat, but there was no soul attached to it. There was no, I can't even remember how I felt during it, except for the fact that I was like, oh my God. And, um, uh, then I was, uh, they, they were like, oh yeah, rehearsals are next week. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, oh, cool. This, I'm going to dance for Usher. No, definitely did not get called back. <laughs> and it, it, it hurt. It hurt because all they asked me to do was to be myself. And I knew I didn't know myself. And I knew I did not give myself that opportunity. I couldn't blame it on anybody except for me in that tone, in that moment. And that was a huge turning point for me because I, from that moment on, I swore to myself, I promised myself that I would never allow my, like that to happen to me again. And so I was in every freestyle uh, situation I could be in. I was in classes. I was in all time. I, I did a program called Motivating Excellence. I was immersed myself in myself so much that that forced me to kind of find myself from there so you know sometimes you gotta lose you gotta take the l to really understand what you need and that was a that was a huge turning point for me because after that like i said i started to understand who i was more and then i started to become a little bit more 
uh, particular in even the jobs that I would go for and what type of dance I would do. So would it be fair to say that you found or took more ownership of yourself after um, overcoming your failures? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had to. You know, again, it was, especially not once I was in LA, it was like, yo, if I don't make it out here, there's no other option. You know, I have to make it. So what 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 kept you, um, what helped you recover from that kind of incident? Because what, was it traumatic for a while? Because, you know, you're dancing one-on-one pretty much with uh, a celebrity or a star. Yeah. And were you starstruck? Did, were you, did, you, did it like, introduce um, like toxic thoughts into your head and you had to fight it? Like, how did you get past that? Yeah, I mean, I think I, think I cried. I think I cried. I think it was, it was like uh, my dream, you know, was within grasp. It was like right here. It was right there. And I almost, I touched it. I literally touched him. I touched Usher. <laughs> and at the time, that was one of my biggest, um, that was like the biggest opportunity that I had for a major star that was influential in my childhood, in my upbringing. And here I was, this, again, I go back to like this girl from like Queens who didn't come up in a dance studio and all that. Here I have this opportunity to dance with this artist. Wow. And then it was, and then it just went away. And again, I didn't have anyone else to blame but myself. A lot of times we're like, oh, I wasn't tall enough. Or, oh, the choreographer fi- picked their friend. You know, we we try to like justify why things happen. And thankfully, I've always been very like aware of like, no, this was me. Like I did something here that I can't blame anyone else for. So yeah, it was it was such a heartbreaking moment. And then to go on and see the show that I had auditioned for and then the tour and all that kind of happened. It was like, it stung. It stung a lot because it it was bigger than just a job. It was an opportunity and also an opportunity to validate who I was in front of my family and say, hey, guys, I'm doing something of value. Like I'm doing something over here. So all of that, it was such, it was bigger. It was bigger and it, and it it was heartbreaking. You know, I love your story. Thanks for sharing it. It's a very humanizing because I think it's very easy to be on the outside, you know, whether it's like uh, seeing someone on TV or reading about somebody and assume that their successes were given to them or their successes came easy or this person has never encountered a failure. But um, I often find the true champions are the ones who constantly walk into failure but are able to also walk out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man, absolutely. And I, I tell I tell this to anyone who's willing to listen, especially about being an artist or being a dancer. Dance is one of the most heartbreaking uh, career paths, <laughs> at least for me. It has been heartbreaking and hard, and uh, it will turn its back on you. It will do all the things. It will lift you up, and then you think you're doing the job, and then you get chopped last minute. Chopped meaning you get you're taken off the job. Um, but you keep coming back to it because there's also such when that feeling and I'll go back to that feeling of feeling autonomy or feeling freedom of feeling that the way I'm creating, the way I'm moving is a direct connection to uh, the music. And you just feel like you're in control of yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, and that feeling of, um, that dance gives you is what, at least for me, is what kept me coming back. Even after I had knee surgery, I tore my ACL and meniscus in 2016. And 
I was like, well, my dance career is done. I'm going to go to acting now. I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to stay around the, the arts still. Yeah, I think, I think an injury is every dancer's worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard. Like, you know, I, I sympathize with anyone that I know that has an injury because it is the one of the most difficult things financially, mentally, emotionally, physically that you will go through, you know? Also, I say mentally, emotionally, because I, I, I identified as a dancer, right? So as who I was and how I, how I walked into a room, my confidence was directly linked to my ability to dance. And that went away when I got injured. So I almost was like, I remember going to a party limping and I'm watching everyone get down and I'm like, wow, I, I really can't. I can't. I just have to stand here with the rest of us, <laughs> with the rest of the people and just watch. And um, it, yeah, it really makes you think about those things. But the good part about that for me was that it made me think of myself as, a, as deeper than just a dancer. So I had to ask myself, if I'm not a dancer, who am I? What is it about dance that keeps me coming back? Or that interests me in the first place. And what I came to was, I love to tell a story. And dance is just one of the mediums that I have chosen to do that. And I love to feel, and I love to tell that emotional story, even if it's a freestyle choreography, whatever the case is, I love to create a vibe and an energy that people can feel. And it makes, I like to move people. And once I kind of got tapped into that, it also changed the way I danced when I came back to dancing. It changed the way I create. It changed the way I view my own art as not just a couple of steps. It's like, okay, well, what am I doing? What story am I telling here? And uh, also being in alignment with that also attracted other jobs that are in alignment with that too. And, and, so I find myself now in a space where it's like, wow, I really am getting paid to tell stories through dance. That's wow, interesting. That, that, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> the, the commonality or the similarity I hear between both stories is there was something that got taken away, you know, whether it's like the ability to dance or the opportunity to dance with Usher or yeah. another celebrity, right? Um, it got taken away, but in the process of getting taken away, you reach even deeper, you reach even harder and you, you found something new in, in that's, that's, that space. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, now looking back on it, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm not sure where I got it, but I'm, I'm grateful for that ability to kind of look deeper, because, I think I've, oh, and and this probably comes from my parents. My parents were never the type to give up, um, and they were always just like pushing through, like, okay, let's, what's, what's next. And they instilled that in my brother and I. And when we have faced difficult times, we've kind of, it, it has forced us to look deeper and like, okay, where's, where can we find the solution in this? Or what is the, what needs to change in order for a different outcome to come out? And um, yeah, being able to do that has, has changed, has helped. And so now that I'm in a different space as a choreographer and even as a teacher, I think it, I believe it's my um, responsibility to help people do that for themselves. You know what I mean? Wow. 
did you ever explore any other physical art forms? Uh, and if you did, what was different about it that keeps you keep going with dance? Physical art forms, meaning, well, I did. Like, like sports, for example, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've always been very physically active. Mm -hmm. I used to love playing soccer when I was a kid and basketball, baseball. I have an older brother, so uh, again, I told you I was a little tomboy growing up. So I was always playing sports. And I also played the saxophone when I was in middle school. Um, and I was also a, a, I also painter, a painter, and I drew a lot. Like I loved... Um, I, it started when I was like in elementary school. I saw, I used to, you know, you used to like trace stuff and you used to put it in, put the image there and put the paper over it and trace. So I was doing that. And then I saw a boy in my class. He, um, he was able to draw it without tracing. <laughs> and everyone was like, that's so cool. And in my head, I was like, hmm, that looks kind of cool. I think I want to try it. And so I started just like with like Bugs Bunny and I would like look and, look at Bugs Bunny and then try to draw it. And it was this feeling of overcoming that I think kept me um, excited about it. And I always, as, as even as I got older in school, I was always uh, doing art in art programs as well and drawing art classes and stuff. So honestly, I feel like if I didn't become a dancer, I would have probably been like an animator or like a... Uh, painter I loved I mean I loved anime I loved like drawing Marvel superheroes so I just I loved it I just didn't know if that was something I could really do as a career mm -hmm. you know so that and dance I didn't know if I could do these things I just knew I loved to do them yeah I think part of the challenges of being an artist is well maybe there's more out there and I'm just ignorant of it right mm -hmm. but it seems like part of the challenge is not knowing how to turn this art form or this passion into something that can be a career or be sustainable for the long term, right? Right. And, and I think sometimes it takes lots of um, attempts. And on the outside, it can be perceived as, oh, oh, yeah, you feel like this thing. You feel like this thing, right? But it's actually not the case. It's actually just exploration, you know? Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, I, you know, I'll remind anyone who's listening, I came up in a time where there wasn't, there weren't dance competition shows. There were not, uh, you didn't see professional dancers in the in the forefront. There was no social media. So there was no access to seeing dancers do their job professionally outside of a dance studio or music videos. Like you would see them on, on stage with the artist or you would see them in music videos, but that was it. And so I would just see them. You didn't even know like who they were. You just knew they were dancing with Michael Jackson, you know? Um, so we didn't have that exposure to see that. And even in other art forms outside of maybe musicians and singers, I didn't grow up maybe. And maybe that I'm just being ignorant to it as well. But I just was not exposed to that. Um, so it did take a lot of trial and error. It did take a lot of, man, I don't know. I, I like this dance thing, but I'm going to go over here and be a journalist. You know, it was like. I, what I thought I could make money from or what I thought, you know, my career path could be, which is honestly, it's cool now that I think kids have are exposed to like social media and stuff because they can see so many different types of jobs and career paths that they can take. And then now they can make their own 
either make their own um, decision or uh, find a new path. Wow. So uh, you just dropped a lot of information there. <laughs> it's, it's a lot to unpack. Let me, let me think about it. Uh, I'm thinking about it. Uh, did you ever row with any crews? Were you part of any crews, uh, whether in New York or over here? Yeah, actually, I was part of a flexing crew from uh, Canarsie. It was Canarsie? Yeah, I think it's Canarsie. Yeah, from Canarsie, a flexing crew. Their name is Too Nice. And that was the only crew I really claimed. And I was a part of the CSA dance crew in St. John's University. But Too Nice was the only crew that I claimed because um, it was more than just, we just, we more than danced together, but it was, we were friends. We're still friends to this day. And we danced, but we like, we went to school together we traveled together we got on each other's nerves they're like my brothers you know so once i once we grew older and we stopped dancing together we were still friends so going joining any other crew for me felt a little bit like hmm no i already have a crew so so i've heard of flexing before um and usually when i hear that word or that term or that style is Use in conjunction with turfing, right? Um, so, well, I, I don't really know firsthand what flexing is. Can you explain a little bit what that is? Well, flexing, turfing, I believe, is from the bay. Yeah, I, I'm not from familiar. I, just, or, I hear those two styles. It's usually together. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, they're 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 similar in, um, I'd say, the way they, the aesthetic of it. Uh, but I believe the music and the culture of it are are different. Uh, flexing is originated in Brooklyn, New York. There was a TV show called Flex in Brooklyn, and it comes from an, uh, a style called the Bruck Up. There was a gentleman. It's more of a, the music of it is very particular to like dance hall, and then it evolved into like a style of music that they dance to. And um, there was a gentleman, by a dancer by the name of Bruck Up, and he used to like kind of do like these like arm, like, uh, like the like isolation but like kind of like pops but not really you know what i mean and so he kind of would just like do these very interesting movements and the style developed from there but it's from brooklyn new york turfing don't quote me but i believe is from the west coast and but what's similar is that they both have a things that they both do they both glide so both styles have gliding in them and so, uh, and uh, like I said, aesthetically, they look similar. Would you consider, um, or do you know Storyboard P? Yeah. yeah would, would he be a yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, okay. he was probably an originator of the style, um, someone who's been around for a long time. And then he kind of took his style and evolved it into what he called, I believe, mutation, mutating or something like that. And But yeah, he his, style, his original style was... Um, was flexing and there was a there's a battle in new york in brooklyn called battle fest and we used to watch it on youtube and uh they would have it was it was very i think ahead of its time shout out to battle fest <laughs> um if you haven't checked it out check it out because i remember watching and so back then uh storyboard p his name was professor and i remember watching him come in in like a surgeon outfit and he was like just doing all these really cool movements and and he was like in it was very theatrical so it's these theatrical battles 
of like gliding and tutting and then they would isolate and do all this like real just amazing movements then that evolved into like bone breaking i don't know if you're familiar with a, a couple uh, bone breakers I, I i've heard the term but i did not uh, go deep into that style yeah so that um shout out to slick shout out to hobby also shout out to um soup who's another uh flexor they're out in LA and I believe Nugget, I believe he's out in LA too. They've kind of kept the style going and put it into the commercial industry. So again, a style that originated in like Brooklyn and parties and in culturally very um, limited kind of like has grown and has grown all over the world. And um, there's people performing it and teaching it and doing all types of things with it. So, but it originated, like I said, back then and, they again the show it was a local show on like public access tv in brooklyn and uh my crew was on that show and they would have like crews battling and it was called flex in brooklyn so from there i joined in later on because i grew up in queens so when i by the time i went to st john's i connected with them and i was i introduced got introduced to this style too and i was like whoa this is amazing you know so it really, and for me, when I watched it, I was like, oh, they're like gliding, like like Michael Jackson. <laughs> you know, I looked at it like that, like, oh, because I loved Michael. And, and they're like, they're like tutting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like remember the time, you know? And so for me, it appealed to me like that because I, I grew up really loving the style of Michael Jackson, which, again, if you really think about it, it's a lot, there's a lot of popping influence there. There's, you know, Pop and Pete and the Electric Boogaloos and all them. They influenced Michael's uh, movement. So indirectly, I was being influenced by the same, th you know, the same dance principles that we that we know now. Yeah, I, I remember when uh, first starting out with dance, I would say that if there's any dance styles that give the the wow feeling, it's probably the uh, illusionary styles, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, it just looks... I don't want to say inhuman, but it just looks like my mind is bending just watching this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, that's, that's really cool. So culturally, as far as what happens inside the culture, so an example, um, in the house scene, it's big on exchanges, right? And other scenes might be bigger on battles, right? So what, what's what's the uh, scene like in, inside uh, the flexing culture? Man, it's, it's, it's pretty battle heavy. It's pretty battle heavy. I remember my experience with it was like you go in and you you violate, like you just kill it. You know what I mean? You go in there and if anyone's coming for you, like they'll there's an exchange there. But it's not necessarily a like an aggressive bad exchange, but it's like um I'm going to show you who I am and I'm probably going to be better than you. And I'm going to come for your head. You know or so and those are those are really fun because they they force you that competitive edge forces you to be innovative and forces you to to if you get beat to go practice go practice and come back even harder you know what i mean i think that also is reflective of the new york culture where it's like yo how you present yourself is how people are going to treat you so the what you wear how you dress how you how you look, you know, I have friends that used to match their drinks to their outfits. Like fashion in New York is so intense and, you know, we take it so seriously. So as a dancer now, 
you're like, yo, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a glide in my, these fresh Jordans, and you, they're not gonna have a scuff on them. And watch, you know, or a foam posits, which is a, a sneaker that a lot of dance flex dancers like to uh, use for the gliding because it has a stiff sole. Um, but yeah, and and so for me, being around being around those dancers like really helped me also kind of gain like a little chip on my shoulder. Like, yeah, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna just. I'm gonna come, you know. I'm gonna come do my thing. So yeah, how how's the sportsmanship like? Um, meaning, is there is the beef prolonged or is it only in the the battles? Uh, it depends. Okay. It depends, and I think you know I would compare it a bit to like the breaking scene, right? It it depends. It can be it can be it can get a little intense in some of these more competitive um, dance cultures. You know, you you go in there and and it, it can. Or you you might have like a a long standing beef with somebody, and it's like every time I see this person, we got a battle, you know. So it's a it, it's very interesting culture to kind of get involved in. Um, but you know, I would say I don't like to like get lost in it. I wouldn't yeah. say you know because yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can't get lost in it. Yeah, with that said, uh, nice segue. So let's let's um let's exit that rabbit hole and re-enter your rabbit hole, right? So. <laughs> Uh, what are some fun facts and achievements you've had over the years? Oh man, fun facts and achievements. And if it's long list, I'm, I, we got all the time. Right, right. <laughs> you just call me down later. <laughs> um, fun facts. Um, fun fact: I speak Italian. You parlo un po' di italiano. Uh, fun fact. Um, Does someone else in your family speak Italian, or how, how do you no? Speak? Uh, well, we, I studied in school oh, okay, and I just really enjoyed it and I wanted to study something outside of Spanish. Um, so that was fun. I actually went to Italy and had a great time over there. I think the people in Italy are so fly, like, excuse me, young and old. Everyone's always dressed nice and their hair's done and it's just so cool. Have you ever been to Argentina? Because I, I haven't been there, but I've heard that in Argentina there's Italian Spanish. Yeah, they do. They have a, a heavy Italian influence. I haven't been there, but uh, I've heard that in even growing up, you just knew that Argent Argentine Spanish was a little different. You know, it's always a little different. So, um, yeah. And there's some parts in Colombia too that have a little bit of a different Spanish, okay. very similar to to Italy as well. Yeah, I, I had no idea there was a, such a big uh, Italian population in Argentina because apparently, apparently, they they have really bomb pizzas down there. They do? Yeah. I didn't know that. You just taught me something. Yeah, yeah. I I, I learned it from uh, Katya, so no, no surprise oh, there. Yeah. Shout out to Katya. Yo, <laughs> you didn't even have Katya on the show. Katya is the most interesting person I think I've met in a really long time. Yeah, you got to get into her. Yeah, she's, she's great. She's definitely a, my opener. She, she's a, <laughs> she, she is a co-host, so uh, whenever she wants to come on, you know, um, the door is always open for her. Oh, nice. Yeah, she's great. Shout out to Katya. Yeah, okay. So... Now let's talk about um, let's talk about Econ Kanto, you know, mm. which is a whole topic in itself. Uh, let's start with how you got the gig uh, because you you got the gig during the pandemic, which is interesting in itself because the pandemic was hard or challenging for a lot of artists, right? But yeah, that that silver lining came through, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was it came right at a time where um, at the end of twenty twenty, I was kind of getting into the space of like, man, what how long is this pandemic going to be and what can I do? Like, what am I doing? What can I, you know, I, I spent most of 2020. I, when 
the pandemic hit, I was on tour. I was on tour with Omarion. And it was like, oh, two weeks. And then the pandemic hit. And the two weeks became two years. And so right around the time towards Thanksgiving of 2020, I was actually visiting my fa- my friend, my family, sorry. I was visiting my family in Georgia. And uh, I didn't know what was coming next. And I got a call from Jamal Sims, who's a head choreographer on the film and he told me he was like hey so um i'm disney's doing this film based in on columbia and it's based on a family who lives in columbia would you want to be a part of it and i was like uh yes like (laughs) i don't care about nothing else do i have to go now like what's happening you know so i told him and even and i will mention um he he had been asking around for um, someone who knew Colombia, who was Colombian, a dancer. And shout out to Carlos. Um, Is he a choreographer or? A, a- he's a dancer and he's a videographer now. Okay. Shout out to my friend Carlos. He's from Venezuela, and he actually put my name. He he reminded Jamal, who I've worked with in the past. He reminded me Jamal that I was Colombian and kind of put in a good word for me. So, you know this quote when they say, like, your friends put you, um, put your name in spaces where you're in rooms you're not even in? Or, like, something like that. It's like when people say your name in rooms you're not even in to give you an opportunity. Like, that was a huge... Yeah, I, I, I remember um, there's this quote that it's not who knows you, it's who knows what you can do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's such a that's such a gem, and it's so real because it wasn't about just me being Colombian. And I spoke to Carlos about this, and he was like, he's like, you know, I know you're a professional. I know you've been around for a long time, and and that was so nice to hear because that is a big part of how I carry myself as a professional, like being on time, having integrity as an artist, um, being just a nice person, having a good good energy about yourself when you walk in a room, whatever you have going on in your personal life, leaving that at the door and just being a professional, that goes beyond your talent, at least in my eyes. So for that to be a big reason why I got this job was like everything for me. Because if you know Jamal Sims, he's all about energy and he's all about good energy. He is a great person, great energy himself. So he wants to be around people like that. And uh, so that's how I got the assistant um, choreographer position. And I was also a dancer. And then after we finished the first number, which was We Don't Talk About Bruno, then the production asked if I would be interested in being uh, an animation consultant. I didn't know what that was. But so I, but I said yes, because why not? I'm going to say yes to everything. Um, so I said yes, and then they brought me in to work with the animation team and help them get all the cultural nuances right of the film and the 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 animation it was very interesting the to get the anatomy of it right meaning and this was a discovery i made from animation they see the characters as we see dance so they see animation as we see dance they're obsessive about the human body and about the, you know, the shifting of the the shoulders and the rotation of the hips and the weight transfers on the ball of the foot, all of that, they're very detail-oriented about. 
So once I discovered that, it was easy to talk to them and communicate because now, like, they'll know, like, if I said, her leg is too turned out, they know what that means, you know? So that was like a match made in heaven. I had such a great time. We worked for about nine months on the film. Did you guys ever do, um, what do you call that again? Uh, motion capture? Yes. No. Wow. We didn't. That's incredible. Yeah, we didn't. And that's another testament to the work we did on the animation side because... So we came in on the choreography side. We were in a dance studio. We had the music. We created to the music. We would show that to the directors. They would give us notes, et cetera, et cetera. When we're done, we give those videos. They would record us in several different angles with skirts, without skirts on, all different types of things. They would send that to the animation team. And now the animation team literally was just, and that's why they're called reference videos, because they would li li watch these videos and duplicate the movement on now these the characters. So they, the way they have the characters set up is like on, on the computer, like little buttons move everything. Like one moves the eyebrow and the other moves. It's so intense. Um, but it's so beautiful when the way they do it. So shout out to all the, and anyone who does animation, because it's such a tedious job. I remember hearing for them to make like three seconds of film, it's like a week. <laughs> so I remember when I would come in with uh, notes at first, they would look at me like, mm, really? Hmm. It's offbeat, huh? Okay. <laughs> you know, I could tell they were like, oh no, this means more work. But they did it and uh, we worked really well together. And I think when they, going in and really detailing on the dance movements, I, I know it made a huge difference because that is something that really stands out about the film is how uh, specific the movements are and how culturally relevant they are and how authentic they look. It, it, was, it was a lot of the work that we did. Yeah, you know, like... I went to watch the movie initially, mostly to support you and check out what, what's happening, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't expect to enjoy the movie as much as I did. Yeah? Yeah, I was like, you know, because I, I really just walked into it with, with no expectations. Oh, yeah, Kai worked on this movie. Let's go check it out. That was as far as I, I looked into it, you know? Yeah. And then when I actually watched it, I was like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe Disney made this movie. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's Well, what stood, out, what stood out for you? Like, what was it? What drew you in? So many things, to be honest. Um... Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about about it all here. So one of which is, I, I love like all the, the nuance in the body language. Mm -hmm. it, it felt like I was in that place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because I think body language is hard to communicate and it's one of those things that um, really sets one culture from the next, right? Um, like Asians have a certain body language, Colombians have a certain body language, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I felt that the body language was just like really on point. There, There's a certain, um, uh, and, and you know, I could be wrong, but it's just my perception, right? Yeah. So I feel like um, Latin America cultures, there's a certain like sass that's that's just in the culture that you, yeah. you, I, I don't see as much in other places, but it's definitely heavy there, you know? And mm -hmm. I, it's one thing I love. Um, and I, I saw the show after going to Mexico, even though Mexico isn't in Colombia, but it, there's still that, yeah. that flavor there, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it, it felt like very authentic to what I, what I experienced in Mexico. Um, so that's on the body language side. On the story side... I love that it wasn't like, okay, there is a person or, you know, a princess that needs to be rescued. Uh, I 
I like how real the story is. It's it's arguably a kids movie, but the the themes are lifelong themes, right? Right. Like coming from um, a place that's going through conflict, and you're seeking opportunity. That's how kind of how I view the um, those gifts. Uh, it's like an opportunity or a career choice. Yeah. Yeah, and there's the umbrella or kind of like the, the uh, matriarch that just wants so much that has so much to sacrifice for her family. Uh, yeah, I, I want to like take over the conversation. Yeah, but, no, uh, I mean, uh, I, I like to hear I like to hear your your reaction uh-huh. because you know we sat with it for so long, and you know it was personal to me. Obviously, it's Colombian, Colombian, and I, 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 it resonated so well with me. Yeah, but it was I. What I love about the movie is that once it came out. We have people from different cultures, from different backgrounds, from different parts of the world that can relate to it. So I love that it educated people on Colombian culture in a very entertaining and positive light, but it also didn't isolate people. So it's not like you feel like, oh, this is only Colombians only. No, this was very much like, no, this is a story for all of us. Yeah, we can all as, as a Vietnamese American or Asian American, I definitely related to 100%. The... Um, the body language and like the food, the the non-story part, the culture part mm-hmm. might not be the same in Vietnamese culture, but the the story is very relevant, right? And, and I think it's it's a it's a great, uh, I think it's a great immigrant story for sure. Yeah, you know, um, and there's so much spectrum to being an immigrant, right? And I think for a movie to be that successful from Disney that humanizes and shows the case, okay, you know, like there's. Lots of families out there that just want the best for their family, and this is right. what this is what it can look like, you know. Right, right, and I think that's also interesting too. And I think I remember the director saying that this was they 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 chose to write this story as a question, like how well do we know our families? And I think in watching this film, you can relate to one of these characters, whether it's Luisa, the strong one, or the perfect one, or the clumsy one, Maribel, and and then, you know, you look at the grandmother, the abuela's character, and I'm sure there's parts, there's people in our family, especially our elders, that sometimes growing up, we didn't understand why they were so harsh or why they were so kind of hard on us or they're hard on our parents or whatever. And then you think about it like, well, do we really know their story? Like, do we really know why they are the way they are? Like, have we taken the time out to try to understand their, you know, what it would be like for someone to immigrate to this country leave everyone they know and everything they know to try and make it. And now they feel this immense pressure of having to make it. And now they have children to take care of and they have to make sure they're okay. So it really makes you think about all of these things. So Yeah, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. Uh, you know, if you were to place me in another country and I didn't have a smartphone, <laughs> I would be terrified and lost, right? Right. So to be in a generation that move across country, where, whichever country it is, and not know the language, and and during a time when there was no internet or there was no smartphones, and you got to figure stuff out, it's like how? Right. <laughs> We're like, wait, what? Who? There's no. There's no. Where's the Wi-Fi password? No. <laughs> what? So, yeah, man. It 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 it's really, and I think that's the biggest draw of this film that there's no clear villain. But there's this level and this idea of intergenerational trauma that we have to uh, yeah. talk about. You know, I'm gonna, I don't normally do this, but I want to do a quick rant because one of my pet peeves, not about Kanto, but about movies nowadays that target kids. 
mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say this. Uh, maybe to 2020, 2023, then we'll find a better way. But I think there's a lot of kids' movies now or shows now that are super dumb. You know, mm. that's just straight up dumb. I don't know how else to put it, where it shows kids making very selfish decisions. Like, oh, they, they, like uh, Sweet Tooth on Netflix is one occasion. I watched that and I'm like, oh. <laughs> like literally they're in a death, death, life or death situation and this kid is chasing after candy. I'm like, right, like, right. You know, and um, so that's, that's my, my pet peeves. I think the last time I felt this strongly about uh, an animation movie was probably watching Soul. Mm, yes, yeah. that was really nice. Yeah, yeah. So for for me, Encanto is uh, on a similar level, where the message is very deep and it's very intelligent, right? And it's so relatable to so many stories. Um, and even like not not as an immigrant, but just like the process of finding who you are, yeah. right? And versus who you want to be and who other people think you are. I think that was a very big theme in the show. Can you speak more about that? Yeah, like thinking. Uh, who you think every being who you think everyone else wants you to be right that's something i've i've also struggled with uh you know i've also growing up like i said it was it was hard to tell my parents that i i wanted to be an artist it's hard to kind of tell them you know you you think about bruno's character right it's kind of misunderstood um and he's kind of the black sheep and you think about why is he the black sheep he's really just misunderstood and um Going through that journey, I think it, it different people, whether, like I said, you're the strong one who takes on everyone's burden, but you don't really show your weakness or you show your vulnerability, but you have it, you know, or the one that, um, like Isabella, I think I can relate to her in the sense of I was, I always had good grades. Mm-hmm. I was always, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I always had good grades and I was always like the 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 perfect daughter kind of. And so when I decided to be a dancer, it was kind of like, well, what? What are you doing? Why are you why are you doing that? You know, it it, it that journey is um very interesting and it's very personal. I think we all go through it no matter what. So Yeah, so there's a uh, a lot of interesting characters on the show or the movie. Uh, what about the characters do you relate to? Because uh, you know, um, there's Mirabelle who's unsure of her own talent or potential, yeah, and still, um, compared to others, uh, still finding her path, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe even thinks that her path is, um, or maybe has problems with self accepting because right. she's yet to find her gifts. And there's Luisa who is like the masculine but very sensitive at the same time, so that duality there. And Bruno, who's um, like, as you mentioned, misunderstood and outcasted, but still trying so hard for the family to be there, right? Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I, I, it's very interesting because outside of being a, a fan of the film, having worked on the film, I feel like I have a very personal connection to each of these characters physically because I had to physically embody them. So... In that process, I gain it's like a I gain an appreciation for each one of their um, internal struggles because of the way we had to portray them physically. So, like Mirabelle was actually very challenging to work at, to work on because she's not well put together. She's quirky, and for a dancer, that's very challenging to not dance on beat, to not walk on beat, to stumble and not make it look graceful. You know, so I, I had a very interesting journey with her 
um, Isabella, I felt really connected to her because I'm also uh, a whacker and I feel like her movements were very graceful and I it was it was a lot of fun to dive into her character. And um, Luisa kind of had that like more of a like this strong energy that I really enjoyed. And even Dolores, Dolores had a very like quiet cat-like, you know, characterization. So we had these physical characters um, that we had to give them and connect. I connected with them all, to be honest. I think we, there's a little bit of each one of them in us all. I specifically, like I said, with Bruno, this idea of being misunderstood really stood out to me of feeling like you're kind of like the black sheep or you're the one that people don't understand. And, and again, being an artist, I didn't quite feel understood by my family. I felt that they were looking at me, especially as I got started getting older, like, all right, when is this phase gonna, gonna end? Or what is she doing? Or when is she gonna get married and have children? And is she not getting ma get married and have children? And I'd have people in my family make comments like, well, you know, you are getting older. Time doesn't, you know, time doesn't wait for anyone. So I felt like, man, I, they just don't get it. But I'm doing it because I love it and I want them to be proud. I also wanted my family to be proud of me. And I love my family. So I really connected with Bruno in that way, you know? Yeah, Bruno is a, it's an interesting character because... Um, he had a gift, but also I don't think he under fully understood his gift. Yeah, because it seemed like like there was potential to have a lot of good from it, but maybe he was like worried that these visions were gonna lead to disaster. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, of the way people started putting that on him, projecting that on him. You know, if you think about the song, which is the number one song on Billboard and all that, it the story of that song, and I and I really. You know, I love that Lin Manuel Miranda did such an incredible job with these with these songs and telling the story in these songs. Uh, but if you listen to that song, you know everyone's talking about all the bad omens that he he did. And as as a song progresses, you actually start it starts to get a little ridiculous, right? And it starts to feel a little bit like you know the game telephone, how it'll start off with a message. By the end, it's like this whole different message. It almost felt like that. It felt like because he did something, let's say, on uh, Peppa and Felix's wedding day, when at the end he says, I just saw you were sweating. I didn't even, it wasn't even a prophecy. I just saw you were sweating. But since they started with that, that escalated to towards the end. It's like, oh, he said I would grow a belly and I did. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. You just kept eating, you know, so it just becomes that kind of snowball effect. And I think a lot of a lot of people in their families can once you get like that bad rap, pretty much, it's like that's who you are. Oh, you're the person that does this. You're the person that is good for nothing, or you're the person that's always gossiping. You know, and it's like no, that's not that's not who I am. That's just a perception of who who you are, of who you think I am. But for me, it's like I can either take on that role. Or I can move past it. And I think with Bruno's character, he didn't want to move past it because he didn't want to hurt his family. So he, he, he instead decided to leave. That way he wouldn't hurt anyone else. That's, that's a great point. I, I think um, the intersection of self-love versus 
sacrifice for others mm. is well represented in Bruno, right? Because uh, he's sacrificing himself at the expense of self-love and moving forward. And all while doing it where no one's even like noticing these things. I think yeah. that's, a, that's a crazy place. Uh, I, I definitely know of some people in my life that is a Bruno, for example, where they are so focused on self-sacrifice yeah, sacrifice for, for the family or for another goal that it's just like this, this, yeah, I guess Bruno's perfectly, perfectly made because he's living in a dark place, right? He's like, yeah. you're, you're in a space where no one even knows that you're there. Right, right. And it's like you're, you're, you're caught between making your family proud and or preserving your, the peace in your family or living your authentic self. You know, and, and it's a hard decision to make for a lot of people. It's hard to say, I'm going to live my life authentically, whether that means you're of a different sexual orientation, whether that means you love people of a different race in some times and some places that was a big deal, or whether it's I'm choosing a different career path, whatever is just not the norm in your family structure to go against that. It takes a lot because, you know, in the be at least in the beginning or for some time, you're going to be met with um, conflict. So it's hard. It's a very hard thing to do. And a lot of and, and it's also OK to retreat. You know, that's also a decision that make that gets made, too. It, but you're you're retreating. Like you said, you're sacrificing yourself for the well-being of others. But then we saw how Bruno even looked like he was all disheveled and. Like he looked all like, ugh, you know, but so to see his transformation to at the end of the film when he's like, no, this is who I am and you're going to take it or leave it. And this is what happened. It's like, wow, he finally chose to choose himself and live authentically. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, there wasn't necessarily a hero character. Everyone had qualities that made him human. So yeah. there are a lot of human characters and not necessarily hero characters, which I think is so important, right? Because, you know, I, I thought about this recently where, don't get me wrong, I love Marvel movies. I love Doctor <laughs> Strange. I love my superpowers. I love yeah. time travel. Right? I love all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I, I seriously think the true superheroes are humans who don't have these powers and you got to figure this stuff out without like super strength or unlimited finance, you know? Right. We got we to figure all this <laughs> stuff out that... That and I think that that's 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 amazing, right? Because it's hard. It, yeah. It's ambiguous. It's general. It's hard, and yeah. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I love how how real all the characters were. Because you know, I can definitely see myself in each of the characters in, in some way, right? Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, for sure. even like the abuela's character. Like to imagine what it would be like to be a single. You know, I think single parents are superheroes as well. You know, they, I have a dog and it's hard to take care of the dog you know what i mean like it, it's just hard to take care of anything outside of yourself so then to take care of children and to bring up children on your own and like you said do it with financial um, obligations and work and sacrifice and all these things man it, the humanity aspect of it i don't think gets highlighted enough mm -hmm. yeah yeah i you know like the older i get the more weight I'm able to perceive with how much uh, my family, in particular my mom, has has endured for 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 me to be in this seat right now. You know? Right. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of mind blowing. So that story hits that spot for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, you know, I think that with my parents as well. I'm like, wow, 
my parents, like when they were my age that I'm right now, and I don't have children and I'm not married, which is fine. But they already had my brother and I, they were already do. you know, I'm like, wow, man, that's crazy. I'm over here trying to figure out what I'm going to eat tonight, you know? <laughs> so I have so, in, in, but you have to kind of go through life and life kind of has to beat you up a bit for you to really kind of respect and understand like, whoa, my parents kind of, they went through it. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Shout out to, uh. All the hardworking yeah. single or otherwise parents out there, you know, you guys are doing a super job. Right. Y'all are getting it. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's, let's, let's talk about um, the significance in food and music within Encanto and within Colombian culture. How, how how important is it? Oh, man, it's everything. It's everything. It's it's uh, central to... Well, the family is is the center of our communities, right? Family, family uh, dynamics. And then within the family, the center of it is food and music. You know, you can always find uh, Colombian people celebrating something with food and with music. There's always music playing. Even in my home now, like whenever I'm cleaning, I'm always, there's always music playing. Whenever uh, food is almost like a, a sign of, it's like a love language, you know, and I didn't realize this until I brought, I started bringing my friends that are not Colombian or even Latino to see, to meet my parents and my, or even my family. And again, we'll all sit at a table and everyone cook, or pe- they cook, the whoever's hosting cooks and they, they serve you a plate and you didn't even ask for that plate. It's just there. It just appears in your, in your, in, in front of you. And whenever I would go to Colombia, I would go visit family and the same thing. We would go visit. You're thinking you're going for some coffee and all of a sudden a big plate of rice and beans and chicken would just appear. And um, it was it's the way that we show our love for one another. And then to accept that is also a sign of love to eat it. You know, that's that's a big deal, too, because I remember I had some friends that were American and they were like, oh, no, it's OK. I'm not hungry. And I remember like my dad will look at someone like what? Is is that considered offensive or rude? Yeah, or, or not trustworthy? Or yeah, you know? like it's like, wait, what? You're not going to eat again because it's it's correlated to love. So like, I'm giving you something of myself, and now you must take it. Now you must receive it. And even growing up, like we we were always told before we went to go visit anyone's house, you're like, you don't ask for food, but you take what you're given. You don't go anyone in anyone's fridge. You just sit politely. You visit, and then when they when they offer you something, you take it. Um, and that sounds weird now, but I mean food, like not offer like you know anything bad. Um, and that's how I was raised. And also, so now I'll even do it to my friends. Like if I'm eating something, it's difficult for me to eat something and just and you not eat. Like if I'm eating something, I'll be like, Vin, do you want some? And then something else comes up, be like, Do you want some of this? Do you want? And you know, I have some American friends that are like, No, no, I'm good. I'm like, it's just part of the culture, you know? It's the culture of the the food is so central to what we do. And then add on music to that. Music is how we relate to one another. Dancing is huge. I remember I, I showed the animators at Disney some of my family home videos of our parties and how we used to relate to one another. And uh, what I noticed, even in watching those videos back, I noticed particularly my grandmother, 
She was always like a strong, all the, the women in the, the family are very strong. They're very strong, like Abuela, very strong, very always well put together. You never saw them like make a mistake. And they were always just very serious. But it was something about when we would all gather in a party, you would watch, you would see my grandmother laughing and her sisters laughing and dancing. And you would see my dad and the guys in the family kind of invite them to dance and make jokes. And it was like their time to like let their hair down and to like kind of unwind. And I think that's very important for family, for the family structure to come together around music and food and drinks and let let loose and, and, and relate to one another and dance together and I also saw, um, you know, myself as a child, as like two years old with like my grandfather and he's dancing with me and he's like teaching me how to dance. And this was also stuff I, I didn't realize until I got asked these questions. The question one of the animators asked me was, how do you learn to dance? Like, how did you learn to dance salsa? How did you learn to dance cumbia? How do you learn that? And I was like, well, a lot of it is passed down culturally through our family at these parties. I remember I would used to dance as a kid on my dad's feet. I would put my feet on his and he would move his feet <laughs> and I'm holding, you know, I would hold his hand and then he would pass me to my uncle. Then my uncle would dance with me. He would do a turn. And now I know how to do a turn. He would pass me to my brother. My brother would do another move and, and like that. And we would rotate with each other and that's how even the culture is passed down from generation to generation yeah i, I you know I, I can't say that i've been around the world and well-traveled but i do trust my instincts that there's something special about latin america where uh, that breath of life it's so real it's mm -hmm. so it's everywhere you know like yeah and Going back to New York, that's what New York reminds me of is like people have this pulse and there's a, a lineage or heritage there that's 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 a, a generation thing, right? Not like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because even, even with dance in New York, like you go, going back to Funk Box, we're going to bring it full circle. Going back to Funk Box, me sitting there and watching, or us, because you've been there too, us sitting there and watching our older generations get down. We're learning. We're taking this in. And them inviting us into the cipher is them teaching us. They're, you know, physically in real time, they're passing down the culture of what we do so that when we get to their age, now we are going to pass that down to the younger generations. You know, so all of that is, is all of that energy. And, you know, uh, again, I remember going down into Funk Box and Sullivan Room and what, seeing there was this lady who was always there. She always had incense burning and you smell the incense and you see the percussionist going and the DJs going and dancing and and that will always be in my in my memory so as I continue to grow as an artist I'm going to want to recreate that energy somewhere else and then pass that on to um, the younger generations I think that's what's beautiful about music and dance and even food <laughs> just culture it's a, for us to be able to learn it and grab it, and then we, we're able to pass it down. That's what lives on. So for anyone, uh, for, I, I guess for any um, Colombian Americans or non-Colombians out there, and they're like, oh yeah, I want to go to either Colombia or Latin America, 
what are some things etiquette wise that they should be mindful of? Because, you know, like this is a different culture. There's a different mindset. Yeah. And so some things may be a little jarring while some habits from, I guess, American life or the Western life may be unwelcome, right? So how can someone travel uh, harmoniously in this area? <laughs> well, you know, I think what's beautiful about Colombian culture is that people are very welcoming. It is a very, it, it has gotten a bad rap for many years because of like Pablo Escobar and Narcos and all that. And while, yes, that exists. I mean, that that does exist. There was, they had a huge issue with guerrilla warfare for many years and kidnapping. There's violence everywhere. But the heart of Colombian people is rooted in tradition and family, in music and dance. And I think the the best advice I can give to anyone to that goes to visit is to open your heart, open your heart to the, just have your heart open and don't be afraid to receive love. Cause that can be, I think for um, uh, specifically like Americans, I would say to be like hugged by a stranger, to be like dancing, touching, dancing with someone that's very like invasive, like physical, like, whoa, you know, um, how I just open myself to that. I think when you give yourself permission to be open, to take in someone else's culture and to understand, seek to understand why they are the way they are, then everything else falls into place. Because even if you make a mistake or if you like say something, oh, I don't want to eat or something like that, it, it's, it's um, coming from an innocent place. I think removing the ego and stepping into a world and uh, understanding that you're a, you're a visitor in this world um, and being open to that. I think that's the best advice I can give. Yeah, so I, I'm hearing about uh, being open to receiving different kind of interactions from the locals that you may get from America or whatever country you're from mm -hmm. and coming with an open mind to learn about the culture, right? And, yes. And being able to like maybe leave the assumptions at the door and see what you can walk away with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, don't leaving your perception of the way you live your life back home. What are some events, if there are, are any that's um, particular to, that's a highlight to visit, whether it's a, like a, is there a food fest or a music fest in Colombia? Oh my um, God. Yeah. There's, there's stuff happening all the time in Colombia and the different um, so Colombia, they call it the crossroads of South America because it's one of the most biologically uh, diverse uh, countries in the world. You know, you have everything from your tropical climates to um, Amazon. You have your Andes Mountains. You have uh, really high elevation. You have uh, the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean on on both on in Colombia. So, and you have all types of people in food. So with all that being said, every area has their own, like in Medellin, it's really known for their flowers. So they have festival of flowers. There's an area called El Eje Cafetero, where they, where, where they produce, so there's a lot of coffee farms there. So you want to visit that because then you'll, you'll get to see where the, where the coffee's made and all these farms where they're grown. You know, you go to the Caribbean coast, you're going to find... All they have, they even have an EDM festival out oh, there. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they have an EDM festival <laughs> for all my festy heads out there. I believe it's in January. 
Um, and that there's a lot of African influence uh, in that area. And they, they have preserved a lot of the old Spanish um, architecture. And so you can just go, it's, it's very nostalgic and you, it's very historical. So you can learn a lot about there. And then Bogota is the capital. It's very much like New York. So you'll have like, you can, they have like hip hop festivals out there. And they're very connected to also American culture. And uh, I'm trying to think where else. Um, yeah, so every other town has their like smaller festivals that are unique to what maybe they produce in their town or what they produce in that area. Winter for us is summer for them, right? Not necessarily. Oh, it's okay. actually pretty close to the equator because okay. Ecuador, Ecuador obviously is where the equator lies. Yeah. So Colombia is more so um, depending on the region. Like Bogota is on the mountains. So it's always the same weather. They just have a raining season or a dry season. But it's always around like 60 degrees. So it's like San Diego. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always kind of there. Medellin, they call it the the town of the eternal spring. It's always springtime over there. And the, the temperature is not as dry. It's kind of LA. Like LA is not too humid. But it's very, it's like a nice uh, temperature. And it's like that year round. Cartagena and the coastal area. It's tropical all year round. So right now it'll be 90 degrees down there. Wow. All amazing reasons to visit uh, Colombia. Visit Colombia. <laughs> so uh, is it safe to say that, that it's year round, is it a good time to visit or is there, is there a good time to, uh, to go over another? Well, they have, they really have a great um, season during the holidays. Like I'd say Colombia, I've been there during Christmas and New Year's and it's just so dynamic. They also have a festival, I mean a carnival. In Cartagena, they have a carnival. It's the third largest carnival. I think Trinidad, or I don't know which one has the, the, the biggest one, either Brazil or Trinidad. After Brazil and Trinidad is Cartagena, and they have theirs in November. And it's just, um, just you're, you're going to see music in the streets. There's people, they, call, they have something called, a, um, I think it's called Parrandas, or that might be in Puerto Rico the name of it but it's still the same element where pe musicians they'll instead of like you know how we have carolers in the u.s kind of a similar idea except they're musicians and singers and they knock on your door and if you open oh you're having a party at your house so now there's a party going on in your house and then we're gonna go to somebody else's house and knock on the door and if they open oh we're we're partying at your crib columbia so. sounds like my kind of place <laughs> yeah i feel like you would like have a good time there you have a great time there is is, is uh, what you're talking about similar to how and you know if anyone hasn't seen Encanto yet go watch it we're just talking about a movie so there might be spoilers right but even if it's spoiled you won't you can't get yeah. spoiled just go watch the movie go watch it with that said at the end of the movie um like the whole town comes i, th I think they were playing music at towards the house right was it was that not the case in the movie uh at the, when they're rebuilding the house yeah and i think the whole town starts coming and it's yeah. singing yeah, yeah, is, yeah is that sort of what you're talking about where similar yeah yeah it would be a little bit more like it, it the vibe would be a little bit more like how antonio when antonio gets his gift how everyone's just going to the to the house okay it's okay. a little more like that like that festive like excitement you know um i remember being ki a kid going to Colombia and and my parents taking me to my grand uncle's house where they had a courtyard very similar to Casita and all the kids would be in there playing soccer and while the parents were doing other things and, uh, you know, talking and 
then eventually we would all be dancing. It was just so fun as a kid, man, um, to be able to go grow up in that. So even now as an adult to kind of go back and to experience it, it just feels the same. There's just a, such a magic there. Yeah. Wow. What What are some things or stereotypes that might might be, they might seem harmless to whoever is assuming that, but it's offensive to Colombians? Like how can we uh, break that down? Yeah, um, definitely. We're not all drug dealers. I ain't gonna lie. We're not. <laughs> I'm not. I, uh, there's no, that, at least not that I know of. There's no cocaine drug lords in my family. Um, also that, you know, Colombians are always trying to get their green card or that the women are always trying to marry or the men, you know, I, again, I was born here, so I didn't really, I didn't have to deal with that stigma, but I, it's happened a lot in, in my family and friends where if someone's dating an American and they're from Colombia, it's like, oh, they want their green card or, oh, you know, and I, I think that's pretty general for a lot of immigrants, period, um, in the dating world. Um, also that, you know, a lot of women tend to have like fake boobs and fake, you know, and while Colombia is really well known for its plastic surgery and its BBLs, <laughs> um, no, it's not everyone's like that. And also I would say it's, it's not a third world country. It's, uh, you know, Colombia is very technologically advanced it's uh it's partnered with the US many times and you go to, if you go down there you're not going to be in a little hut you know while that exists the the the, the difference between wealthy and po poverty is way more intense than i would say most of america it's still you still have a majority of people that are you know living in under good conditions, decent conditions. Yeah. Whereas I know sometimes our perception in America of other countries is like, oh, you know, like those commercials, those feed the kid commercials, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, that's what we think. It, Cause that's what we're seeing. That's what we think like Africa is like, and like Latin America and all these other places when it's like, no, like my friends actually have shown me uh, countries in Africa that are thriving better than America. And I'm like, man, I kind of want to live over there. But you wouldn't know that because that's not what we see. So same thing with Colombia. There are people living in beautiful homes and it's a different economy, different people. But they're, they're people okay over there too. Good. Uh, I'm glad you broke that down. It, it make, makes a lot of sense. Okay. So let, let's say uh, for Colombia, what are some foods that everyone should try? Oh, man. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a long list. What, yeah, you know, there's a long down. list. Yeah. Real quick, definitely bandeja paisa. What is that? Bandeja paisa is like a traditional plate, right? So it has your rice, you have your beans, you have your plantain, avocado. Um, it comes with pork rind and steak or, or skirt steak. And it has arepa, which is like a corn cake, like what they were making in Encanto, the little flat white corn cakes. Um, I believe that's it. But it's all of that. In, oh, and a fried egg. All of that in one one plate. That's amazing. They also have tamales, which are like tama tamales. But the Colombian version that kind of come in, they're like round. And they have like pork and carrots and um, cornmeal, like corn flat corn. Yeah, it's like, is it corn? It's called masa. 
but it's like kind of like this jumble together, like any tamale, but just with pork and chicken and steak in it too. That's really bomb. Empanadas, of course. Empanadas are the little like uh, beef patties. Colombian. Did, did empanadas originate from Colombia, or is, is it like a is it, is it a dish that's in a lot of Latin American countries? It's a it's a di- I don't know where it originated from. That's a but good Columbia question. But Colombia does have it. Okay. Colombia has their own version of it. Okay. So you have it in Puerto Rico. You have it in Argentina. You have it in different in, in Puerto Rico. I think they call it pastelillos or Dominican Republic as well or pasteles. So yeah, you have in in a lot of these places you have a lot of similar things like, uh, and if you go trace it back even further. Like plantains, I believe, came from like influence of Africa, you know, or like a lot of food that we eat in Latin America was also influenced from African foods, Native American foods and Spanish food. So a lot of our culture is a combination of those three. Is it uh, accessible in California or in, in America or you got to go straight to Colombia or you got to go to someone like your house, for example? Right. To food, yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of the stuff you have to kind of import from Colombia. Uh, like there's certain potatoes or there's certain like food and fruit that that is native to over there. Um, but there there are some restaurants like in Los Angeles. I think there's like four restaurants, Colombian restaurants, which is which is cool. You know, again, I told you in the beginning, I grew up in Jackson Heights which uh, there was Colombian bakeries, Colombian uh, restaurants, even movie theaters. All Colombian growing up. So I grew up not knowing that this was not normal. You know, it's like if you grow up in. Uh, Chinatown, Koreatown, uh, Little India in New York, you're like, you grow up with this culture. Even I grew up in Queens, and fun fact, Queens is the most diverse neighborhood in the world. And that's where I grew up. So out right outside of Jackson Heights, you would find like Flushing, where you would find a lot of Korean influence. And then you would find a lot of Chinese and a lot of different types of Asian influences. So you would, and then for a little further, you're in little India where I would, you know, you'd eat roti and just find a lot of um, Indian and Pakistan influences, music, the co- So you, it wasn't just the food. You're looking at the music, the, the, the gold, the, the uh, attire from all these cultures. So you're just, that's what I thought was normal. So when I came to LA, I was like, wait, what? There's only one, one Colombian restaurant and, or even like, where's the Indian food at? One? Where's the where's the pho? Oh, is it over here? And ramen is like over. You know, it's it's so like a speck of it. You know, so that's something that I feel LA could do better at. Yeah, LA. She's looking at you. Get it together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I went to Mexico last year with my friends. We had a great time, and uh, one of my learning lessons from that trip was was a lot of tourists go to these countries but don't actually experience the true parts of the country. And they experience more of the, uh, the commercial tourism aspects, meaning like it's, it, it, there's, there's an image of what you think this country is at because maybe you're staying near a resort or staying near a tourist area, right? And you don't ever venture out to find what's actually authentic about these places. So say if someone wants to go to Colombia, like how, how can they experience the real Colombia versus the tourist spots? Well, the best thing I can tell you is go with a local or go with someone who knows. Uh, you know, whenever I'm in Colombia, I have family down there and they take us around. And um, then you get that real experience because I've, I've had that, too, where, you know, you go and they have the tourist area 
and you just kind of stay in that area and you get the perception of what it is. Even like New York, for example. It's different staying in Times Square as opposed to going to stay in Brooklyn or in Queens where you're really going to get like the New York feel, you know. Um, so same thing in Colombia, I would what say. What about any um, indigenous ceremonies? So when we were in Mexico, we did a Temescal. Mm -hmm. Does Colombia have some, some some equivalent of that? Or I guess what yes. type of experience? Yes, they do. There's a lot of, and I'm not too, too familiar with it specifically in Colombia, just because I haven't... Um, done it myself but i do have friends that have gone down there they've had um ayahuasca experiences they've uh been able to link with the indigenous tribes down there there's the amazon part of the amazon is in colombia as well so there's just like a whole that's a whole nother like just chapter of exploring colombia you know now we're getting away from the cities and all the stuff the the spanish influence now we're in the indigenous, like, Mother Earth, like, rooted experience. So that's a whole nother chapter to uncover. And I'm actually excited to do that. I definitely want to do that. Nice, nice. Uh, we, we definitely got to get you back on the um, on the show after you've done it and, you know, tell us yes. about your findings. Yes, I'm going to report back. <laughs> so well, let's go back to Encanto and talk about the creative process. Mm. Uh, yeah, what, what was it like? What was the workflow from... From drawing board to choreography, because there's a large team, right? But yeah. within that large team, there's complex ideas being communicated and lots of people to manage, lots of ideas. And you, you guys definitely killed it. But like, you know, how did it happen? Like, Yeah, man. So I think it's very, it's very interesting. This was the first um, animated film that I worked on this in depth. I've, I have worked on other films in the past as a dancer and... Then to see it from dance to um, final product, it was it was really nice. But I got like a really uh, in-depth view this time. So for us on the dancing side, at first we got um, word from the directors. They kind of broke down what was going on in the scene, right? As you would any film. So we, we understood what was going on in the film, in the scene. And then we we had pictures of all the characters, Mind you, we didn't know what the story we we didn't know what the film was about really, outside of that it had a fam there was a family with superpowers. You know what? Like, let's pull up a video, uh, and let's uh, kind of break it down. You know? Yeah, let's yeah. do that. Should I pull one from? Mm -hmm. From mine. Yeah. Okay. So we would get um, the song, and we would get the demos from Lynn, right? And uh, we would get the storyboard. Of, of what was going on in the scene, along with the pictures of the, of the characters and uh, the direction from the directors. But, and I'll just pause it real quick. So what you're seeing up top here, that's, what, that's where we would go with it. That's what we would start. And then we, again, we were in dance studio. We just had information and music. Once we created the story with our bodies and the choreography for it, they would then do create the bottom and even creating um, this was a whole process in and of itself because they would first start with the camera blocking of it. Then they would do a layout, which is almost like a 2D version of what you're seeing here. And then from there, they would start creating this. It, it's a long process, you know, then they would start creating this process with the animation. And then there's a whole team that does just the fabrics. And then there's a whole team that just does the hair. 
So it's, yeah, it's very, I think I have, let me, let me see if I have, um, yeah, here, here you have, um, they were talking, we're talking about the creative process and how it went from this, this scene. So the thing you see on the left, the screen you see on the left mm -hmm. is what a rendering of the animation, what that looks like. So they would go back and start the animation process and almost do like a draft. And then they would come show me the the draft and I would pick it apart, you know. And from picking it apart, they would go back and we like kept doing these drafts until finally we got to a place where we liked it. And then it would go on to continue being produced. Were there any guiding principles that you guys adhere to or visions where we got to follow this thing to make sure we stay authentic and make sure we stay true, true to the vision? Well, yeah, we had a whole team outside of myself. There was a whole uh, Colombian cultural trust that um, was that they would check all of, we would check each other's work kind of make sure like, you know, cause they would ask questions like, how would a Colombian person say thank you? And you know, we would say something like, like that's how we would show gratitude is by like kind of holding our chest, like oh, thank you and, and like bowing our head, right? Then they would go through the whole team and everyone would say, yes, that's actually true. You know, things like that. Um, the little cultural nuances. When it came to the movement of it, um, a lot of that was put on me. So that I did feel a lot of pressure to make sure <laughs> it was right and it was authentic. Um, but again, I after getting past the initial imposter syndrome of, is this right? Trusting my instincts and understanding that, you know what? I've been Colombian for this many years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I think I know what what it what feels authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, absolutely. You know, uh, one of my favorite characters on the show is one of the uncles. Um, the, Felix. Yeah, the one, the one you just showed earlier, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, for some reason, every time he comes on screen, I just love everything about him. But, like, I seriously love Felix. I, I don't know if there's any Felix fans, but I'm like Felix fan, Felix, like hardcore. Me too. I'm so, I'm, I'm such a like fan of Felix. And I think what was, what's so cool about him and even the person, so the person who plays him is a Colombian man. His name is Mauro Castillo. And he's a singer and he's a, he's an Afro Colombian man. And I, what I think is beautiful about, how he portrayed Felix and how even Felix was animated and all that was it's such a uh, so authentic to the to the beauty and the the wonder of the Afro-Latino community Afro-Colombian community you know there's there's this feeling of being happy all the time and being warm and this loving and that's very um is a big characterization of the Afro-Latino community Afro-Colombian community so being able to portray that community authentically in a space where the Afro-Colombian community does not get visibility. You know, I know, I remember even growing up, a lot of people would be like, there's black people in Colombia? What are you talking about? And I was like, no, there are, there's, there's a lot of people. And I remember asking my mom, being like, well, why don't we see the black community on TV, on like Colombian novelas, soap operas? Or why, don't, why do you only see them in Colombia? It was like, why do we only see Colombian, like Afro-Colombian people in Colombia? Why do we not see them on TV? And um, 
obviously at the time I didn't understand the colorism and the prejudice and the racism that's going that that goes on around the world. So to be in a space in a time where a character like Felix is getting that visibility and it's resonating so much with people is beautiful. Yeah, I, I don't know how um, the person who played him did it or the, the animators did it, but seriously, every time Felix came, came on the screen, I got really happy because just his mannerisms were just so on point. You know? Yeah, 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 and the and the the gentleman who plays him is like that in real life. Like he's this <laughs> like really highly animated. Let me see if I can find him just so you can see. Have you ever do you, do you know what he looks like in real life? Have no, no, I don't. No, okay, I'm gonna show you. Uh, that, that's him oh my gosh that's literally it <laughs> just popped up on the screen that's him that is very interesting but yes it, it, you can even just seeing on his face like he's that guy you yeah. know what i mean he's felix yeah yeah i i seriously love it like I, I, even when his character was dancing this the way his hips move you know and his mannerisms i was like feel you know Felix is my boy yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I loved again even being able to have a say in a conversation of how men move their hips and is still masculine and uh understanding masculinity in the Latin culture that it's it's unique. You know, the men give each other hugs, the men kiss each other on the cheek, you know, it's the men will dance together. Um the men will cross dress and like for for jokes and stuff like that, it's very um, what could be considered like oh that they're they're a little feminine, you know. It's they they take those taboo they take those taboos out, mm -hmm. and um, I think for but it's still masculine. Like not at, there was not a point in the film where I thought oh Felix's character is is not masculine. No, I felt like even he had his family. He took care of his family. He loved his wife. Uh, he was very passionate about it. And mm -hmm. this idea of Latin men being passionate and emotional, but still strong. Yeah, that's a great point. I, th I think uh, maybe more men could, especially American men, in my experience, not gonna say all, but mm -hmm. my experience, right? I can't right, that. that's, that's it. That's uh, truth. But I feel like a lot of guys here are scared of being sensual. Uh, maybe with reason because the culture here is different. So maybe if they were to try it or experiment with it, it would be perceived wrong. Yeah. So I'm not gonna fault them, you know. But I do will say that like uh, you can be masculine and sensual at the same time, and doesn't take anything away, you know. Right. Right. Like, and something as interesting as moving your hips. Like when I teach class, I do, um, I warm up with isolations and from head to toe. And then whenever I get to the hips, I just move the hips around in circles. Right. And you just watch people, how uncomfortable they can get. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> I, I, I had stories of uh, when I used to go to 24 hour fitness and work uh -huh. out. And you know I, I'm a dancer too, so I have my my, my warm ups right. I gotta do where yeah. is my neck, my, my my chest, my spine, and so forth. And I definitely have hip warm ups right. Yeah, there's been times where I'm just like in the mirror, just warm up my hips, and I, I can tell everyone's like, right? They're <laughs> like, what? What? Who? Who's that guy? What's he doing? When it's like, what do you mean? It's such a there, there's so much power in that in the hips, and if you think about it, in like your chakras and stuff, that's your 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 root chakra. You're shaking up all of that and mm -hmm. it's good for you like it's, it's yeah it's actually really healthy because um my personal style of, of house or dance is mm -hmm. more footwork based right 
And I come to realize that the more free your hips are, the better your footwork is because yeah. your, your body is allowed to move and respond because stiff hips, like it just locks everything up. The, right. the, your hips, our, our hips, rather, um, connects our top, uh, our upper body to our lower body, right? And yeah. stiff hips just locks everything up. And it, it's, it's not just in dance, it's in any really physical art form, right? Yeah. 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 The more balance you have, like even, not even just having such a, like a horizontal or vertical uh, movement in your hips, having this almost like, Figure eight, being able to loosen that up in that way gives you so much more mobility when you're balancing, when you're surfing, you're skateboarding, when you're doing anything physical. Yeah. 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 Uh, so lose, uh, use your hips, guys. <laughs> use your hips. <laughs> came into your camera. You heard it here first. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what's on the future for you? What's on, what's on the horizon? What's next? You know, Man. you got big plans. I know you got big plans. Yeah. You know, I think, um, like I said, this film is, has come into my life and in a time in which I've been exploring the next, exploring what's next for me and going back to being a storyteller, finding projects that are in alignment with that has been like my main focus. And so I've found a, a couple, you know, right now I'm working on a residency in downtown LA. Come check us out, Kai's Table, called, called the Kai Experience. Um, it's not my restaurant, but it's it just happens to have the same name. That's what's up. Um, but in there we're creating a show where we're bringing together dance, live music, and singing, and, and tracks, and DJs, and we're bringing all different types of performers together and producing a show from there. So that's re that's something I'm really that's been inspiring me a lot lately. Also, I'm uh, putting forth a workshop. It's called the Map Workshop, and I'm actually teaching in San Francisco. So I'm teaching out here for the next couple of days, and I'm going to be going to New York, and I'm going to be going to Florida, and also Colombia with this workshop. So the workshop centers around the performance aspect of dance. So while you have your workshops that center around foundation styles or, you know, choreography or however. My workshop is uh, centered around performance. Like, what do you do once you have your training? What do you do? How do you produce dance, regurgitate dance, either it's choreography or freestyle? How do you put yourself in it? How do you perform it in an authentic way, right? So that that's the root of the foundation of my workshop. So I'm very excited about that. And yeah, just any I'm I'm open to work. I've been working with some artists and and putting forth projects. So I'm looking forward to continuing to have opportunities to create and to tell stories. Yeah, amazing. And as as you should uh are you going to come down to Colombia anytime soon and is this movie already showing in Colombia? Yes, yes, it was in, it, it showed it's open in Colombia the same time it did up here. And yes, I'll be going to Colombia this summer, like I said, with the workshop. And I'm excited to be able to go down there and exchange and teach and also share with the dance community down there and see how I can help. So I'm also looking forward to partnering with some charities to see how we can use this, um, the fame that Encanto has garnered to also help the community down there. I, I saw a clip that you posted, uh, or maybe I saw on YouTube, I don't, I don't know where I saw it, but the point is <laughs> there was like little 
girls or little children out there that identified and even look like the characters from Encanto, right? Yeah. How, how does that make you feel? Oh man, it makes me cry. It makes me cry because so when we first saw ourselves from the dance, from our dance to the layout, we we cried, right? Um, we saw ourselves not just physically, literally um, in animation, but we saw our mannerisms. We saw our culture. Like, wow, we're in a Disney film. Like, Latinos are in a Disney film. And then, but it was very, we, you know, it, it happened in the film. It happened while we were working on it. So we didn't get like a real world view of that, right? So once the film came out, then we saw how it resonated with the children and other people and how they saw themselves. So I understand that feeling because I felt the same way. And it's so beautiful to now understand that I had a friend of mine tell me his son, he's, he's a, an African-American. His son said he saw himself in the film. And he said, it's crazy to think that our children are never going to not know what that feels like anymore. You know, like they see themselves. And from now on, children are of all colors are going to see themselves represented. And what that does to the, a child's mind, like we spoke earlier about not having access to what we can do and being Asian American, Latin American, right? We didn't grow up having these heroes to look up to. Even watching Disney films, we didn't have, we didn't see ourselves so to be in a space now where the next generations can see themselves, I'm so excited to see what they're going to do in the future and how much they're able to dream now, you know? Makes me emotional. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for all the people that's watching this movie. And, uh, you know, I, I, I used to not realize the importance of representation until... I saw more things represented and then it changed me. And I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like. Right. You, know, you don't really know what it feels like, right? Because when you don't have it, right? Like we grew up and um, we grew up thinking, looking up to other people or looking up to different types of people that don't look like us, but never, you don't realize that you, how much you need to see yourself represented. So, I, you know, I love that. And I, I, you know, specifically with our communities have been underrepresented for years. So, you know, I watched uh, Raya, which came out the same year as Encanto. And I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. Also to see brown Asian Americans. And like, um, I, I forgot which, which countries were represented there. So I don't want to get it wrong. But to see different country, different Asian American where it's not the same look, you know, because mm -hmm. even for, for that community, it's like, you know, I'm sure being from Vietnam and I have some friends from Vietnam there's a wide spectrum of the way people look. You know, there's a wide spectrum in Taiwan, which I have friends from Taiwan as well, Thailand and Laos, and you just don't see that. So it's a beautiful thing to see different types of um, communities represented. And I look forward to like, what's next? Like, who else are we going to learn about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So uh, some closing thoughts, closing thoughts for... The dancer out there that's still discovering themselves. Closing thoughts for the children, either uh, the Latin American children, either in Colombia or anywhere that is discovering their identity for the first time. What do you have to say to them? Oh, man. Uh, well, to my dance community first, I'll say 
you know, it's like I said, it's a heartbreaking <laughs> journey. But it's also one of the most beautiful journeys I've, it's the most beautiful journey I've ever had. Uh, I think dance, art saved my life. It's to not be so dramatic, but I really do feel like it did. I feel like um, it has shown me who I am over and over again. So if it's something that keeps calling to your spirit, keep going. Don't let don't let anyone deter you. Don't let anything deter you. Um, and you know, we we once we when we're still is when and we're like not active, right? When you're sit still, that's when you get to understand what's really pulling at you. So sometimes we don't gain clarity because we're so cluttered with doing stuff and we're so busy, quote unquote busy. And if you feel that way, take a second and like find some stillness and find some clarity. And if in that clarity, dance still speaks to you, then that's it. That's all you need. Keep going. Keep going. And for my community, my Latin community, my Colombians, my Latinos everywhere, I'm so grateful that we're in a space where we are, we can see ourselves, we can dream, we can tell our stories, and we can support others that don't look like us in telling their stories. And I think this is a really nice time to be alive for art because it's a space in which we're finally being given a platform to tell our stories. So while I think it's important for us to tell our stories, I think it's important for us to tell each other's stories and for us to learn from each other. And I'll say the, my last thing is that I really love that Encanto and Disney it used Encanto as a way to educate in a way that's entertaining so that we can spread that positivity and continue to like just spread this amongst each other. And that's why I said I'm looking forward to what next, what other communities we can learn from in this way and also being a part of it, you know, and we're both in a space where we can do that. You know, even with this podcast, like you're representing your community as a podcaster from Vietnam. What? Are you kidding me? You know, so like someone can see that and be like, wow, he looks like me. I can do a podcast too. Because even with the podcast community, there's only certain types of people that we've seen with podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I definitely noticed that. Yeah. So even that, you're breaking barriers. So I think it's so cool to be alive in this time, even with everything else going on in the world that's not so cool, to be able to be a creative in this time and to have a platform to tell our stories is amazing. So please keep doing that. And uh, lastly, if if it's not, there if it's not if something if you if you have a dream for something and it's not you don't see it that might mean that you're meant to create it right so i you would have told me when i was 10 years old that i would be a part of a disney film that was uh centered around columbia i would have laughed in your face but here i am you know and um so don't ever think your dreams are like crazy because they're not Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I have one more request I'd like to make. Yes. Uh, so speaking of different communities, maybe if you could offer something, uh, a short message in Spanish for any like sure. anyone who speaks Spanish but does not know English yet, you know? Yeah. So they would have access to your story. So, yeah. Yes. Bueno, mi gente, primeramente quiero decirles que me siento muy agradecida y feliz 
y es un honor para mí ser parte de una comunidad de artistas que trabajó en, el, en, en Encanto y como colombiana me siento muy orgullosa de poder representar mi familia, mi cultura, mi, mi, mi gente eh, en, en esta forma. Eh, también es como un, es, es uno de una forma de decir que uno puede soñar, o sea, uno, uno puede darse la, el darse uno ese mismo permiso para soñar y para que todos sus sueños se hagan, real, hagan realidad, pues, porque si hay algo que uno ten, tiene un sueño y no lo ve, igual eso, eso a lo mejor significa que eres tú la persona indicada para que haga ese sueño realidad. Entonces no, no pare de soñar y no pare de, de, de segar, seguir adelante, que los, los, nosotros los latinos somos berracos y somos fuertes y somos gente que es que, que muy, muy salida adelante y que sigan, sigan ánimo, ánimo, sigan con, con sus proyectos, sigan con todo lo que quieren hacer, igual que lo van a, que lo van a hacer. Yeah, amazing. That was fun. I felt very inspired. My Spanish usually is not as fluid like that. So I was very... Thank you. Thank, thank you for doing that. <laughs> thank you for doing that. And, uh, uh, and finally, how can anyone support you? Oh, man. Um, I think... Well, definitely social media. Please find me on there. Find me on there. It's Everything is at Kai underscore Martinez underscore underscore. I'm on TikTok. I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, and yeah, anything you see that you like, please share it. You know what I mean? Um, I, in the future, I am looking forward to starting a nonprofit in that way. So be on the lookout for that. And um, yeah, I think that's, thank you for anyone who has been supporting me up until this point. I am so grateful. I love when my friends are tagging me on videos of Encanto and stuff like that. So to feel that support from my community and my people, my friends, um, is really dope. So thank you guys. And even if you don't know me, thank you. <laughs> well, that's it. Thank you for coming on the show. It's been amazing getting to know your story. I got a lot of insights and I can't wait for people to check us out. I'm so happy for you and your journey. Um, I... I'm even happier for your family because you know they they, they see your your passion and see it it uh, to to blow up to where it's at. You know, like as as a family member, I I, I imagine when my brother or sister or my family members have the same success, I'm so happy for them, right? So I'm so yeah. happy for you and your family, and um, hope to have you back on the show soon. Absolutely, I gotta come back after I do ayahuasca in Colombia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Vin. You've been amazing, and thank you so much. Much success, much luck to you on this endeavor. I am so excited to see episode three of season ten. Yes, there we go. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.